0: This episode of the Designated Drinker Show is brought to you by Buffalo and Bergen, inspired by the New York soda shops of yesteryear. It's a new spin on the old classics, from knishes to cocktails. You'll enjoy bagels, egg cream, sodas, and so much more. If you want authentic, then you have to go to the source, Buffalo and Bergen, located in Union Market. For hours of operation and directions, visit buffaloandbergen.com. That's buffaloandbergen.com. Stories There's nothing like them Good stories, bad stories Stories we just as soon forget And stories that Once you hear them, you carry them with you forever Some stories become myths Or legends Some fade into the background Only to come back again Just sporting different names The best stories endure We find ourselves relating to stories We see pieces of ourselves in the perseverance of the hero or the humorous perspective of the sidekick. Sometimes we even find ourselves cheering for the villain. And while we all try to live our best stories, whether they're tragedies or comedies, epic adventures or limericks often depends on what chapter we're in. One thing we can all get behind is whether we're kings and queens or jesters and thieves. We all love a good story. Well, welcome to a very special episode of the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast that's raising the bar on craft cocktails. In this episode, we're gonna, we're gonna partake into some tasty beverages. Oh wait, we do that in every episode. What a great concept. Anyway, I'm Louise Salas, your host and lover of all things delicious. Speaking of delicious, coming to you from behind the bar, we have Gina, say hi, Gina.
1: Hey everybody, I'm Gina, um, also known as the Mixtress DC, and I am humbled and honored to be making a drink today for our guest. Well, speaking of our guest, Gina, have you practiced the
0: curtsy? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oh, come on. Please welcome His <clears throat> Majesty King Cocktail, Dale de Yeah,
2: The story will take the, take the powder out of that you know, that, uh, <laughs> that charge. Hi, uh, hi Gina, hi Louise, I'm happy to be here.
0: Wonderful, thank you, thank you, welcome. <laughs> thank you. So for those of you who may not know, let me give you a little background. He's the author of The Craft of the Cocktail and The Essential Cocktail. He hails from the famous New York Rainbow Room and he sat ringside for the rebirth of cocktails. Now that's a lot to be said about your amazing career, but I think everyone would like to hear the rest of the details from you.
2: Uh, where do you want to start?
0: <laughs> well, <clears throat> where where's the PG point in this story? Where should we jump in? We're we'll, we're gonna follow I mean, you on this one.
2: I mean, uh, I arrived in New York, and I, I it took me thirty seconds to realize that everything interesting that was happening in New York was happening in the bars, and I spent a lot of time on the on the uh, customer side. So I got to be real friendly with a lot of different bars in different neighborhoods. Um, Trying to be an actor, I was of course a waiter and I ended up getting some pretty fancy waiter jobs. I worked at uh, uh, a place called Charlie O's which I know uh, the reiteration of around the country after the name was sold was much different from the original which was in Rockefeller Center and was a really fancy very cool place with great food and a very interesting eclectic crowd of everyone from advertising guys to gangsters to politicians, you name it. And they had a sandwich counter with Eamon carving huge turkeys and sides (laughs) of beef during lunch hour. And it was just exciting. And they had pictures and captions on all the walls uh, of famous people and supposedly famous utterances about spirits. Some of them were true, some of them were not, you know, that They had the great Brady photograph of uh, Lincoln standing in front of the tent talking to a general saying, Find out what Grant drinks and send a case of it to the rest of my generals. (laughs) (laughs) They had a wonderful picture of Harpo Marx with a line underneath. (laughs) as the caption. (laughs) That's awesome. A great New York drama critic called George Jean Nathan. I only drink to make other people interesting. <laughs> yeah, well, the, you know, the famous that might be our, uh, uh, Who's a great piano player? Oscar Levant, the famous misanthrope. By the way, Oscar Levant was the only man allowed to play Rhapsody in Blue after George Gershwin died. The family yeah. would only allow him to play it because he was such a brilliant piano player. But he was also in movies. You must have seen Oscar Levant in the movies. He's always played the sort of a the sidekick to the to the romantic interest, you know. Uh, you and he was an, uh, it was a he was a, <laughs> a legendary misanthrope, and his caption was. I don't drink, I don't like mm-hmm. it. Makes me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's Charlie O's. I was a waiter there and I became a bartender by lying. You know, somebody, they needed a bartender for a Gracie Mansion party. Uh, the, the, wow. the joint had been uh, <clears throat> had been bought from restaurant associates, Joe Baum, Joe created this restaurant that I'm talking about, <clears throat> before long before I worked for him. And um, it, the advertising men who worked with him had a lot to do with the ambiance of the place. but. I had this uh, this gig, and the new owner's dad was a big politico, and so by, based on that, the, the guy, Peter Ashkinovsky, got the gig at Gracie Mansion to uh, to do the mayor's parties. That was Mayor Beam at the time, and they had a big party coming up, and they didn't have a bartender, because the bartenders were Local 100, and they did not need to do these gigs because you had to load a truck, unload a truck, load it again, and unload <laughs> it again. They didn't want to have any part of that. So it was hard finding bartenders for these gigs. So they said, "Who's a bartender in the way stuff? We have them right now." I said, "I am lying between <laughs> my teeth." And when I ran up to to, to um, Mike Flynn, you know the, uh, the day uh, guy, I said, "Mike, Mike, quick! You got to write down on that index card like ten cocktails because I, I'm going to Gracie Mansion, man. It's a big deal." Said, Dale, Dale, you don't need it. And I said, "What well, do you mean I don't need it? Said, Dale, it's going to be it's going to be Tab and, and and Perrier and 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 and, eyeballs and you don't need a Dale. I said, "Please, Mike." So he wrote down like eight drinks, you know, Tom Collins. And he was dead to rights. So I got up there, set up the bar. Not a single person ordered anything except Scotch Rock, <laughs> and rocks, vodka, Pasca, and Perrier. But the occasion of the party was uh, the uh, Mayor Beam giving the keys of the city to Rupert Murdoch, who had just bought the wow. New York Post. So flash forward 25 years. I get a call from a friend of mine. I'm at the Rainbow Dale, i got a great gig for you. And this is when Murdoch had just married a young Japanese woman He dumped his first wife. Whoops! Excuse me, Rupert. You didn't say dumped. <laughs> uh, I'm so personally. I had to come up with drinks that were named after his farm in Australia and just specialty drinks for the party. And it was a surprise party. So after the surprise was over and everything, and nobody was drinking my drinks. Murdoch comes up and says, all right, you're a hot shit cocktail guy. eh?" Yeah. And I said, actually, Mr. Murdoch, our fortunes have risen together in New York.
1: <laughs> and I told him a story about Gracie
2: Mansion. <laughs> but later on, his kid, who was a kid then, the one who got in trouble in, in London, comes to the bar and says, Dad wants shooters. And I go, Yeah, right, great, yeah. And he goes away and he goes back like 20 minutes. Where's the shooters, man? Dad wants shooters. And I said, You're telling me that Rupert Murdoch wants shooters. Well, he and his buddies drank until 8 o'clock in the morning. Ooh. So he wasn't lying. He said, They'll drink after dinner.
0: They won't drink before dinner. Them. yes they're classy like
1: that huh
2: was that an answer to a question
1: <laughs> there are it doesn't matter it doesn't even matter it's so awesome it I, don't even, I don't even I don't even know I'm fascinated I'm, I'm like this is, so far so good
0: so you um must have a secret sauce on longevity because you've been in the industry a long uh, time you've been married for a very long I time, time. sweet to
2: a really yeah. really I'm a really lucky person. I married a wonderful woman, Jill, wonderful artist. Uh, we met in L.A. I was working at the Hotel Bel Air, and she was looking for an apartment. Thought Dale was a was a girl was a girl's name. So <laughs> we met, and I she, I she answered my ad. I was desperate. I had a beautiful apartment. I couldn't afford. I needed a roommate instantly, and you know she called. Uh, I answered. She said, "I'd like to speak with Dale." And I said, "Actually, this is Dale." She said, "Oh, well, oh, I'm sorry." I, I'm to bother you. I'm actually looking for a funeral room. I said, "Don't hang up." My son loves this story because he <laughs> says, "Dad, you mean the only reason I exist <laughs> is because you convinced mom."
1: <laughs> I don't think you're the first man to, the to the do that.
2: She didn't want to come.
1: <laughs> I, I didn't know that. I it's
2: true. It's absolute truth. We were roommates for a year. Never laid a glove on her. <coughs> As they say in boxing, <laughs> I'm getting my boxing stuff in order because I'm giving the award to uh, Charles Schumann. Wow! Week, uh, Lifetime Achievement Award, which is public
1: knowledge. Yeah. They always announce that ahead of time, so I'm not.
2: No, uh, no spoiler alerts here.
1: So amazing! So tell, so tell, so so long, so longevity of it. How do you like? How do you? How do you? Like, well,
2: first of all, all these young bartenders have passed me way long time ago. Passed me by. I have no clue how to make a lot of the wonderful things they're making. I mean, they're doing, they're doing mixology, which I would never have anticipated. I mean, I was about fresh, I was about proper recipes and creativity along the way, but what's going on now? I mean, you know, I'm using shiso in drinks now. There's stuff going inside of the glass just none of us ever, ever imagined would go inside that glass. I'm looking over there at something you're making, Gina. Yeah. And it looks like Fennel
0: on top. Yep. So why don't we just, yeah. let's jump in. Mm-hmm. Why don't we, what, what do you have? I mean
2: really, okay.
1: fennel, shiso. Yeah. Yeah. So she's going to jump into God it. God knows what know? else is in there, so that's it's, a perfect example. So it's um Aperol, a little bit of rose wine, and then I soaked down um, some shiso and fennel tops and cucumber and strawberry just to sit there while we were waiting. So a quick little marinade, if you will, right? And I'm going to put a little bit of ice on top and some soda sort of water. So one thing I know about Dale is that he loves all things Italian and so, uh, so a little bit of a spritz is not a bad idea right and it's kind of just like a little bit of a, a little an afternoon delight an afternoon delight <laughs> pre-dinner. pre-dinner pre-dinner i love afternoon delight That's it's an afternoon
2: delights in here with you too always. um you and much. then
1: we're going to do it in, in these glasses so it's going to have a little bit of soda water in it so it's going to be really strong I think. So, it's um, so, so if you're at home, this is what you're going to do. You're going to take an ounce of Aperol, um, four to Depending on your taste, uh, four to six ounces of wine. And then um, and you can use rosé, white wine, whatever you like. And then you're going to marinate it in different, um, any kind of fruit that you have in your house. If you have some strawberries or blackberries or something that's like, not like, left to over, use it. Anything in your garden. Uh, you see it at Whole Foods or a different store. You pick it up. Just herbs. Um, one thing about a is that can never be wrong as long as it has in it some sort of uh, liqueur, some sort of wine, and soda water or, or a seltzer. If you Do you usually it's and use so yes, yeah, and grey, right? <laughs> Do you usually use a white or rosé in that? Would
0: you ever go into the red realm?
1: Um, you know, I've never done it with red wine, even though I'm sure that you can, right? You can, obviously, um, more. Oh, I love grain. that you guys had breadsticks too. Yeah, <laughs> so. so cool. So we're just so we're gonna just uh just do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I wasn't ready um, to uh, to jump into the breadsticks but I'm totally into it. Uh so, no. cheers. 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 Salute. Cheers. I have to try the top and then You need a uh, probably probably about a the drink now. Yeah, probably
2: a little bit of, uh, probably a little
1: bit more um uh would
2: be Love you. Very good. Fresh, lively flavors It's just
1: like cukes. It's, like
2: it's like a bigger um,
1: very nice.
0: yeah, Lovely. So would you serve this with any food or and and is there a particular glass
1: one would you um, use? Um I love I so where my father's from in, in Italy. I like spritz is something we have before dinner. So like you decide there in the afternoon, late afternoon. Uh, my father's from Trieste, so um, down in today I say in the main canal area is a, Howard, a version of Harry's Bar so um, you would go down there and get the cocktail so I, I mean that's where I had my first real sprites. Um I mean it's just it's just a lovely thing to drink now it's like you know pre-dinner yeah I'm gonna say it, it's very lovely I, I mean especially yeah. the munching, yeah. yeah so like you know it's just a <laughs> it's, just an, it's, just, it's just like a nice delight like easy and the best part about them is you can make them in pictures if you have a bunch of people at your house Look. No. Yeah, you can't go wrong.
0: So um, you put um, uh, sparkling water. Mm-hmm. Would you, if you were going to make it in a big pitcher, would you um, put that in when you first make it, or would you do the when you're going to serve the, it? the yeah, in each glass? So you yeah, each the glass, glass would over. fall flat, right? Yeah, or when
1: or when you're going to serve it you know, depends how many people or how big your pitcher is. You know, if you have four people, you have a four person pitcher. This is why with the, the spoons. I'm going to eat the
2: fruit. You can't, you know, you know, see in the 19th all, century they used spoons with all the stuff, yes, so you can eat all the. Animals.
1: I'm going to, I'm going to Okay. Sorry, I'm opening, you, I'm opening a, a, a spoon because <laughs> we're on the road. So we have, uh, we have fancy utensils. Yeah, very fancy utensils <laughs> when you're traveling. It's, it's just like being in your bar. you <laughs> plastic uh,
2: uh,
1: Yeah, so
0: that way you we've can. We've all been in bars that served everything with plastic so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then,
1: uh, yeah, so, and, and then what we put in this drink was like, some beautiful red shiso, it's, um, um, holy basil. So it's just a lot of good flavors and stuff.
0: It's
2: I really enjoy it.
0: So, um, the books, how did you get that? What sparked that mm-hmm. too, correct?
2: So I'm, I'm I'm working behind the bar, it's like 1995 And there's some guys from Bell, Dell Books who are regulars. They said, you know, this Rainbow Cocktail thing you're doing is really interesting. You should be writing a book about it. I said, yeah, I should be. You're right. <laughs> so they said, well, start working on it. Send us some stuff, you know. So I start working away and sending recipes and everything. This goes out for like six months and building a nice little library, you know. Well we're you know Joe Baum, my mentor boss, knows everybody. And eventually the CEO of Dell Books calls up Joe and says, Joe, just thought I'd give you a call. I said, hi, what's up? He says, Well, you know, did you know your your head bartender is writing the book? So I get the call.
0: The pregnant father. What do you think you're
2: doing? If anybody writes a book about the rainbow, it's going to be me, number one. Number two, you idiot. We don't even own the name. Rockefeller Center owns the name. <laughs> Get out of my office. <laughs> that was my first attempt to write a book. <laughs> I was a babe in the woods. I had no clue, right? And then after we lost our lease, John Hodgman, the comedian, he wasn't always a comedian. He was a he was a book agent working for a Writer's House. He was a regular customer at a, at, at Blackbird, that little one-year uh, turnkey that I did with with Joe's former partner. Boy, this was just after Joe had died. Um, and John says, "You got to write the book, Deb. You got to write the book. You know, now that your room has gone and Joe's gone, you got to write the book." And I'm like, well, I don't, know. I don't really want to go running around the cops offices. And I, and I said, well, no. he said, how was that? I, I said, why don't you bring him here? You know? I said, well, we'll figure that out. And then we closed. <laughs> so I went to Waldy Maloof. And I said, I said Waldy, can we borrow? This is a 56th Street. He had the, Audrey was working with him at the time. Uh, he had a beautiful bar restaurant, uh, you know, grilled. And I said, can I borrow you, your bar for like an hour when you're for a couple of days between three and four when there's nobody here? And he said, sure. We're going to." Go. So so John arranged for these publishers. And, and so as soon as they found out that it was going to be free drinks and stories <laughs> from the guy who used to work in the rain room, <laughs> like eight people would show up,
0: right? And I'm like, geez, you know, we're going to pay for this, right? Um, you and realize that I'm doing the same thing. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm offering you be on the podcast and I'm using Gina's skills I got it, I to got leverage it. it. Like, Carrot on the stick. I got it. <laughs>
2: so we got three offers on the book, and I stuck to my guns and my principles and went for the highest offer. perfect.
0: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> exactly. Which actually exactly.
2: was uh, was a, uh, was right. It was um, a Clarkson Potter, which is a, a, a signatory of, of Random House. Yes, and they did the second book also. Um, first book still it's in its fourteenth hardcover
0: printing. Both From available Amazon. on Amazon. I found them. Both available on Amazon. Yeah. So you guys want to rush out there and get those books? They didn't think the they, they thought it
2: would be a, a I think they thought it would be like a lot of the chef's books, you know, one or two printings, sort of a vanity book, you know. So my agent at Writers House got us a really great deal that after you hit certain thresholds in sales, you, your, your money went up. Yeah. Per book money. And they were really surprised at how long now with our 14th hardcover printing, I'm making some serious money per book.
1: Good. And they kept
2: telling they, they started calling me up. They want me to write a, a, a review.
1: Another you know,
0: book? No, that book you can book. revise them. Yeah,
2: revise mm-hmm. this. Yeah. I said this book had its time and its place. And that time and place is not now. I said, oh no, we'll, we'll get and and they were gonna offer me some money, but not even near the money they offered me in the original book. And I'm like, but oh, you don't understand, I'm still making that much money by not doing anything. Why would I do that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why would I work when I'm the money the book is still selling? Yeah. You know? And and there's no guarantee that the new book will sell because this Things have moved on, you know. Yeah. And I and I I've moved on too, but I did my creative stuff in Essential, and that was only two thousand and eight. You know, and maybe I will do another book when I collect enough recipes to make it worth my while. But I don't like to throw shit together just for the sake of having another book, you know. And and, and that's
1: uh, a lot of guys do, you know. So some things that most people don't know about Dale, he's got a great, great glass collection in his basement from his book. And I'm fortunate enough to have seen it. Yeah, and it's pretty epic. <laughs> and uh, if you were ever going to do another, if you ever do another book, would you ever use the same glass, or would you get more?
2: Uh, I want to be the inheritance you know, they, of that glass. So. Are you
1: laying down claim well, early if you on? Want, <laughs> if you want the
2: glass? It's all yours. I'm looking to a place to unload it. I'm looking to give it all to a bar, so they can have all different glasses for everything. You know, like there are some bars that do that just as a gag. Mm-hmm. They don't have the same glass. You can order a martini and get it one glass one day, and another glass the next day. I mean, I'm going to give all my glassware away now at this point.
1: Aren't I, you I, in New York I'm, I'm, in a couple of days? Uh, well, I am home for <laughs> three weeks. <thinning. laughs> we're thinning. Good.
2: Pay the, pay the postage and it's yours.
1: Um, I'll do one better. How about I show up with two bratty kids and then I'll go downstairs and pack it all. <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: yours. <laughs> Stay with us. Absolutely. We're,
1: we're going to open another Buffalo I'm American, getting rid so. of the stuff, a lot of stuff. There you go. Are we moving?
2: You know that we opened the Museum of the American Cocktail because Jill wanted to get all the crap out of my house. Well, there you go. But it turned out that Ted... Uh, Dr. Cocktail, hey, I had better crap than I did, so a lot of my crap is still in. The house.
1: <laughs> <laughs> tell me. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the Museum of American Cocktail. Yeah. Tell us about it. Tell us. Tell us how you found it. Everything. Go.
2: Well, Jill, it was Jill's idea, and I, what I just told you is absolutely how it started. And so we said, well, all right. I said, let's do it. So, so I said, let's let's see now. And Jared on, and 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 uh, Jared Brown and Anastasia Miller were friends of ours, and they were like sort of in the same kind of vein that we were. And I called him up and I said, Would you guys like to start a cocktail museum? You know? Nice. And they said, Yeah. And I said, We're thinking of New Orleans. And before St. John Fazel owned his bar in Red Hook, Brooklyn, he was a writer. And I knew that he had a friend in New Orleans who had the pharmacy museum. And he introduced us to her. And so we opened the museum on the second and third floor of the pharmacy museum on Decatur Street, right in the middle of the quarter. Cool. Uh, Oh, it was very cool. I'm telling you, it was such a beautiful location for it. And Doc, I would, the next call was to Ted, Ted, Dr. Bachtell because he was a friend. And I knew he had a massive collection. And he was also going to be our curator, because he's smarter about the antiquities than anybody out there. Then we called Steve Visikey. He didn't really take part, but he lent a couple pieces. And so did his friends from we have giant collections of, of cocktail shakers, so we've got the most beautiful. Uh, we've returned a lot of those, and we've built we've built back up the collection with our own funds, which is now at the museum right out at the corner of Aretha Castle Hill and Martin Luther King, wow. in uh, Central City. And we have a restaurant in the museum now, and it's not one museum anymore. It's not the museum of the American cocktail. It's a mu- it's the museum of Southern food and beverage, the museum of the American cocktail, and the Absinthe Museum all rolled in one. And now uh, Sofab has become NoFab National. Uh, food and beverage so it's it's it's, it's the, the woman that we pe- teamed up with at the Riverwalk marketplace our second location after we got evicted by Katrina yeah. um, and yes. then we went to Las Vegas that we're really good friends with the Brennans and, and T Lally Brennan and T Adelaide Martin her cousin ha- had thrown this wonderful party for us when we opened the museum this was amazing I called uh, T because she had called me about doing some training at, at Cafe Adelaide and and I said, T, we need to find a caterer. We can't find anybody. Nobody knows us. We're from out of town and they won't they won't do business with us. Ah, oh, don't you worry. Take care of it. So I kept calling her and she didn't get back to me and it's like two weeks away and I'm I'm thinking I said to, to Phil Green, we, we got another Anne, who that's this beautiful suite of the Monte Leon. Anne had introduced us to Phil Green, who was the great 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 grand nephew of Antoine Pechot, and he became our attorney and our are, you know, one of our founders. So the founders built it, and then Chris and Laura McMillan, who were the the leading bartender in in New Orleans, as far as I'm concerned, Chris, and one of the great historians of the city of New Orleans, incredible, comes from, like, generations of bartenders. They became founders. So this nice group, you know, formed. Uh, When we uh, were very new, Liz Williams, this uh, woman, uh, had a exhibit of... uh, of foodstuffs. It, it, it was a movable exhibit, we went from skyscraper to skyscraper on Canal Street, wherever she could find space to show it off, on their ground floor uh, public spaces. And we said, you know, we should do something together. And then one day she called me up. We we, we had we had to move to Las Vegas because T and Lally offered a space at uh, Commanders Palace out there. They had a beautiful big square room like this, but much bigger. And we built cabinets around the whole room, beautiful wooden cabinets. We spent all of our money on it that we had. Uh, but we moved in, figuring we were going to be there forever. Then Planet Hollywood called up the Aladdin Hotel Casino and went, bought it. And then they made T, uh, uh, te- uh, and, and, and lally an offer they couldn't refuse, like a lot of money to move out. This is like eight months in. Oh, So here we are homeless again. So they were so embarrassed and so lovely. They actually gave us the money we spent <laughs> as a donation on <laughs> this beautiful wooden cabinets, which we took apart. And put everything in storage in Las Vegas until we could figure out what the hell to do. And then I came back to New Orleans for tales and I ran into Liz Williams. She said, I've got the Riverwalk Marketplace. They want, after Katrina, they want they had no businesses. So I figured if they took that dress shop that was way on the, on the uh, far end of the mall, would have been the, uh, I forget the name of the street down there. And they put something significant in there then people would walk through the mall to get to it. From the quarter side, right? Yeah. And so we installed the museum in thousands of square feet of what had been a ladies' dress, ladies and young women's dress shop down there at the end. And we were there for eight years. And they kept renewing our lease, and we were there for a song. There's almost no <laughs> rent.
0: Right. I uh, speaking of song, I heard you have played like, the, the voice. Little Bird told me.
2: Not as much as I used to. I'm a little horse these days, right now. So, but I did sing a lot. Yeah, I was a saloon singer, and the more I drank, the better I got. It was just amazing. <laughs> I couldn't. Ha- I don't know how that happened.
1: <laughs> oh, always belts out a tune. See,
0: I, I sound. I, I, I can sing when I'm all alone. It's when I'm with others that I, it goes off key.
2: <laughs> I still sing once in a lot. I've had a couple of gigs. I had a gig here in New Orleans at uh, at Mardi Gras World. Colonel Ricard paid me. Hired an orchestra to sing, to play for me. It was really funny. This, these guys were such great musicians and I felt like such a shoemaker. And, uh, but the, the leader of the orchestra, he, he sees my music and says, okay. <clears throat> he knew he was there. He, the gig was all based on me because the liquor people knew me. <laughs> <Yeah. clears throat> so he was like, so the piano player starts going and, and I'm starting to and, and, and I'm up, I'm following the piano and he stops, hold it, hold it, hold it. Aren't you listening to the singer? You're not listening to the singer. He's yelling at the piano player. <laughs> you know, and I'm like really embarrassed. You know, this is a brilliant piano player, piano player. <laughs> Listen to the singer. In other words, take care of the singer. <laughs> when he goes off key or if he goes a little bit behind on the melody, on, on the rhythm, stay with him. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's the he's the bread and butter gig.
1: <laughs> he's the reason we're making money today. He, that's it.
2: He's the money guy. <laughs> <laughs> it was hilarious.
1: That is uh, um, one of my favorite things is um, I, you know, every year that we do um, for uh, Repeal Day, we have our that's ball. How to, uh, that's how we met. That's how we met. And I love that duet that you sang though with Adriana when you did that. And it was just so great. It was so great. Tell me what repeal day
2: is. Baby, it's cold outside. You did such a
1: good <laughs> job. I'm the worst singer. I wish I had a voice to sing with you. Um. It was it was epic. You made um, actually Dale made cosmopolitans that year too, and mm. sang in a beautiful mansion in, in um, Mount Pleasant. So repeal day is um, the repeal of prohibition, oh, and it's December fifth. That makes sense. And um, uh, prohibition. we took it for years. Yes, yeah, so it's our tenth year this year. That's why you're coming this year. come back. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she just said you're coming. Didn't no, you? Jill's <laughs> on the calendar. Asked yes, Jill. It's already been put on the calendar. <laughs> I called Jill when we figured out that like so we we decided to do um all the founders to come back and, and everybody that made it possible for us to do this. And uh, it was really funny because Dale came the very first year when we did it um, at this little uh, okay, public. Yeah. What was it called? It's um seven, yeah, down in uh, Georgetown and it was a hundred people. Maybe PS that was the second year. P.S. S seven second. That's when I cut the quarter. That's when Dale made me cry. Oh yeah, did you cry? yeah. I was cutting the my orange, my orange rounds. I got navel oranges for Dale because that is the only orange that Dale DeGroff will use the peel of. And I was cutting them wrong because he wanted quarter rounds, and he took a corner where he got a quarter from somebody. He goes, "This is the size of a quarter, not this." And I was like. <laughs> 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 okay. But do you want to know something? To this day, when I sell something, I want quarter rounds, and they can't do it. I'm like, let me get you a quarter. put a quarter out, and I'm like, that's a quarter round. So you know, I'm
2: kind of blown away by the big peels that people are using for drinks now. Yeah. they're putting way too much uh, oil, acid, and, and bitterness on top of the drink. Right? It's kind of ruin the drink.
1: But you mean like especially if it's, like the big yeah. fat,
2: and then they shove it in, and they go. It's way too much oil.
1: Yeah, it's it makes yeah. That's exactly enough. Quarter rounds, to, yeah. for, for my whole life I will legitimately pass on my knowledge of the quarter round. And, and when you say that, that's
0: just the rhyme, right? It's You're just the, the rhyme. They call them
2: coins now, they're bartenders. They call them coins. Yeah, you know, how do you want them cut? Cut them like coins, you know. That's what they. That's the terminology that's grown up, which I had nothing to do with. But that's what. By the way, I did have something to do with this though. <laughs> one of the, one of the things I'm proudest of more than anything else, to tell you the truth, is that I named a glass. Oh. So when we started the Rainbow Room, I went to one of the oldest glass houses in, in the city. It was called Minner's Designs. And they had a catalog going back to the 19th century. And they said, "Now, nah, if you order anything from that catalog, we're going to have to make the mills. It's going to cost you a lot of money. you got to order a lot of glasses. I said, don't worry, it's the Rainbow Room. Uh, and I found this. I said, you know what I want? If you can point me in the right catalog, do you remember the old Thin Man movies? Do you remember the little tiny, it was was not V-shaped, it was a little cup on a stem, it was a tiny glass. And Nick and Nora, they used to drink their martinis and have like 12 of them, you know, because it was such a tiny glass, you know. It would be like having two steakhouse martinis, (laughs) six of those, right? (laughs) And I said, yeah, and and then I found it, I said, that's it, that's the Nick and Nora glass, you know. So every time I would order a thousand or whatever, you know, I would order a lot of them over the years. They made the molds for me, you know, they made the glass uh and i would always write you know 6 dozen nickonors 6 dozen nickonors and, and they always knew what i meant cuz in the catalog it said a little martini a little martini <laughs> and um so i, I heard from Tony Ab- Abuganan was a glassware line and a cocktail bar kit line and he, he works with Steelite to manufacture that stuff and he said you know that uh, that Steelite bought the old miners catalogs and they, and they and they now have that glass so i said oh great and I opened their catalog, and it says Nick and Nora Glass. Oh,
0: cool! <laughs> amazing. That's amazing. I named the glass. There you go. See? Because they went
2: back. Apparently, they went back to the records to see what sold, and they saw the rainbow. Nick and Nora. Nick and Nora. Nick and Nora. And they go,
1: "What is this glass? What here? the hell is that? It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. I didn't know that. That's really epic. Oh, I'm
2: very proud of you. Are you kidding me?
0: So you spent many years. It's one of the few useful
2: things I've ever done.
0: You spent many years in New York. <laughs> Yeah, and you're there now. Yeah. Is it? Do you have a favorite place you go to while you're in North? Is there somebody in the
2: neighborhood? Name a street. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> so I have
1: to break it down by neighborhood. What? What, what <laughs> is, so all right, the, the top five,
0: go. Keene's Shop
2: House for Steaks and a wonderful bar and the best whiskey collection in the city, maybe. Because Paul Pockout used to teach his whiskey classes upstairs, and it's probably the, one of the oldest licenses. I mean, there are original pictures of Lincoln up on the second floor. It's a, wow. It's an astonishingly beautiful and historical place. It used to be, behind it, on it's on 36th Street, and behind it on 35th Street used to be the Gaiety Theater, right behind it. And there was an alley in between. And the guy who owned the building that Keynes is in today was renting it to the first uh, location of the Lambs Club in, in the
0: is that 19th century. I'm, I'm guessing.
2: And then the Lambs Club had their own, moved into no. a theater called the Lambs Theater, which is they yeah, lost because one of their... Uh, one of their treasurers embezzled all their money and so they had to Oops. sell the building and now the Lambs Club is a, is a restaurant in a beautiful theater and I don't know what's going on there now but uh, it was the Lambs Club but the guy thought well gee was all these drunken actors why am I not opening a bar or restaurant Yeah. which he did and Keynes opened I don't remember the year it became a pipe club they had the clay pipes and there's thousands and thousands of them in the ceiling there and they have the special cases where there's Teddy Roosevelt's clay pipe and Woodrow Wilson's clay pipe and they're long uh, Dutch style pipes. Yeah. and uh, that that for me is the is the ultimate New York destination for a steak, or or, or the one cut of meat you can only get there, a, uh, a mutton chop, big oh. knuckle of a mutton chop, you know, an astounding mm-hmm. cut of meat, and that's my go to. And then I have other little sneak away places like the Blue Bar at Sardi's. When you go in on the left, there's this little tiny bar before you go in the main dining room. I've been going there for years. Um, there's to me the best drinks in the craft movement still still are Audrey's drinks at Pegu Club they're just incredibly good they're incredibly good and not just because Audrey's a friend because all these guys are my friends, Dushan's my friend, all these wonderful craft bars that are everywhere, Kenta a former bartender at Pegu Club has astoundingly good drinks at his place called Goto, and I would go to go-to <laughs> <laughs> as soon as you can.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. One more. Here's one more.
2: Oh, uh, well, employees only, of course, but, you know, I, and I wasn't really, a, I didn't really hang out at PDT or Death & Co., but I love going there occasionally, you know. I never hung out there because it was always too hard to get in and too hard to get out, and it was too small for me, and I don't like not being able to stand behind people at the bar. So I don't like rules like that. But every time I go there, I have a marvelous time. You know, and the strings are... Pfft. Are you kidding? Yeah. So, But I'm a saloon person. And when P.J. Clarks became off-limits for me because they fired my favorite bartender, Doug Quinn, Doug opened a bar right around the corner from P.J. Clarks called Hudson and Malone after his two sons.
1: Oh, cool. Oh, that's and
2: it is an astoundingly good New York saloon. And Doug is one of the great New York saloon bartenders who is... So good at his job that you're in awe every minute you're in the place. Dale, by the time I get to the bar, there's a Glenlivet on the bar waiting for me. If I don't want the Glenlivet, when I come in the door, no scotch, because it'll be there waiting for me <laughs> if I don't. Whether you want
0: it you know, or not. If I right? want to
2: Guinness, i got to tell him ahead of time, because it'll be a Glenlivet by the time I get to the bar. <laughs> and that's the way he's with everybody. And when I sit down, oh, Dale, did you meet? And, I'm, and now I'm meeting a cop sitting next to me on this side and a woman from New Jersey on that side, you know, and we're having a conversation. Just Doug is that kind of a bartender.
1: You know? That's a, that's oh. that's the craft. I think that sometimes like oh. they, it's that's uh, lost. It's lost in the challenge of like, especially now. You know, you have all these. Um, a lot, I feel like a lot of bartenders are very talented and a little bit introverted. You know, they don't talk to you. They make you a drink, and then they give you the drink, and they check in on you, and they'll make you anything you want, but they don't actually like engage you. And like, it's. I think that was the first thing I learned in bartending was how to engage.
0: But yeah, I think that um, that's uh, being a good host is really important, and oh, so much a part of the experience.
2: You can be the best drink maker in the world, but if the bar is empty,
0: you're not making them for it anyone. Then you gotta like. It. Well, speaking of emptying out the bar, I think that's gonna be our last call. And uh, since Gina and I are on the road, we know we're the ones that uh, we know we can't stay here. We don't have to go home, but we have to get out. <laughs> <laughs> so,